at the New Orleans 31, down seven. I'm going to say this. Two weeks ago, the Jets, we kept blitzing. It cost him. If I was the New Orleans Saints, I would not blitz him. I would put the extra guys in coverage. February 1st, 2011, one year ago, Donnie, we were at my house in Lancaster, New York, and when Tracy Porter intercepted the ball and took it to the end zone, my recently surgically repaired body was jumping up and up and up and up and down. I have video of it. In my living room. One of the greatest days of my life. Unfortunately, the Saints will not repeat, but the Packers and the Steelers will play in the Super Bowl on Sunday. And obviously, since Super Bowl Sunday is only a few days away, today's podcast is going to be dedicated to the Super Bowl. It's a mega Super Bowl podcast. The Sportscasters, it's going to be an annual event. I'm extremely excited. And here's why Don's excited. Because not only do we have the Green Bay Packers beat reporter from the Green Bay Post-Gazette, Rob Domofsky, and not only do we have Aaron Schatz from PoleFootballOutsiders.com, but we also have the great Dave Damashek to represent the Steeler Nation. And I couldn't be more excited, Don. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Just a great lineup of guests for you guys, our listeners, guys and girls out there today. Also, we're going to have three things, which is always excited. And we're going to have our pick four, which... Will involve our Super Bowl picks. I think that's safe to say the game of the week. That'll this be the week. big this game this Bowl. week. Yeah, I'm safe to say. All right, I'll cross off what I had written. Down. So let's get right to it. Let's not waste any more time. And uh, well, you know what? Let's waste just a little bit more time <laughs> <laughs> because I want to give everyone a few things, a few ways to find us, just in case everyone forgot. Yeah, I hardly consider this a waste. Yeah, not a waste at all. You can find us on Twitter, which is at sports underscore casters. You can find us on our brand new website, which is www.sports-casters.com. You can also now gloriously find us on iTunes. iTunes. All you need to do is uh, search Sportscasters, and we come right up in the podcast section. Nice little gold microphone shows up. And you can find us on our Facebook at facebook.com, the Sportscasters. And, of course, you can email us at thesportscasters at gmail.com. All those ways to get in touch and find us. Very excited. Mega Super Bowl podcast. Let's get it going with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, we are back. Three things with a little production there. 
created by uh, Donnie Russ. Good job, Donnie. I like it. Hey, thanks. I'm good for something. <laughs> All right, let's get going right away. My number one thing. Don, you know we always talk about the Twitter. Yep. Yeah, we're, f- we're fans of that Twitter. Did you see that the Packers started their Super Bowl week off with a little drama on Twitter? Uh, oh, I think I did, yes. Pretty interesting story. At the beginning of the week, the Packers were going to take their team picture uh, when they arrived at in Dallas. But the problem with that was is that they have 15 players on injured reserve. And the injured reserve players aren't arriving into Dallas until Thursday, which is a few days after the Packers were going to arrive. So Jermichael Finley and Nick Barnett were on Twitter kind of complaining about it. Right. And I guess Aaron Rodgers was involved. And um, in the end, we witnessed a, a Twitter side, kind of like a suicide. <laughs> yeah. Nick Barnett declared that he's done with Twitter yep. because of it. And he said, thanks for coming out. And yeah, I, I heard him in an interview today, and uh, he said that he has he's kind of thinking it over again. And uh, the Ben or Aaron Rodgers thing that he heard, he's like, "Well, Aaron seemed like he was kind of forced into answering the question the way he did." And he he said he might have been hasty in saying that. So we'll we'll see the uh, see if he comes back comes to back Twitter. to Twitter. We'll be waiting. All right, my first thing: the Pro Bowl is terrible. <laughs> it's not remotely entertaining. Amazingly, it got an 8.6 rating. So the Pro Bowl is like crushing things like the NHL, Stanley Cup Finals, uh, Major League Baseball playoffs. And actually, the NHL All-Star Game also isn't great. I mean, it's a little easier to play a game like that in a game where nobody wants to get hurt. It's like shinny. But it still do, it still did pretty well. I don't remember the exact number, but I think it got like a 1-5, which is pretty high for the All-Star game. Versus, on Versus. Right, and it's on Versus, not right. on Fox. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm shocked mostly by the 8.6 that the Pro Bowl got. I guess people will watch any football. It's, it's less competitive than a preseason game. Yeah, it's horrible. All right, my number two. Okay, I love Apple. It started with uh, the iPod. They thought it was like the coolest invention. I remember the first iPod I got. And uh, eventually I got an iMac. And recently uh, I've had iPhones. And now I have an iPad. And you know what the iPad is going to save? Magazines and newspapers. Because I am a subscriber to Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated is a great magazine for sports. It's really the only one out there other than the sporting news. Right. I think I used to read sport as a kid. That's gone. You know, so the Sp- Sports Illustrated is still probably the best sports magazine. I, I, I get one to the house every week. But sometimes I can't resist to buy an extra copy of it on the Just iPad because yeah. it's so cool. Magazines are so cool on the iPad. They can show you videos. They show you beautiful pictures. They link you to other up-to-date information or follow-ups on the stories SI on the iPad is awesome, and I think that just this little device in front of me, this iPad, could save magazines and it could save newspapers. So come next year, or I don't know if you have a two-year subscription, come when your subscription comes out, are you going to, you can buy a subscription for the iPad, right? Well, here's the thing. You can't buy a subscription for the iPad. It's oh, you only can't. It's only weekly. It's $4.99. It's steep. Oh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, but I just renewed my paper subscription because it was only 20 bucks for the year and they gave me a real nice tote bag right <laughs> thanks si i needed a tote bag donnie i just light in the tote bag department yeah they can't sell a lot of football phones anymore because right. people got cell phones yeah no 
So, but I I know five, six, seven. I know I'm getting the digital one this week because it's got a big story on Blake Griffin and it's got something else in it, which I'm going to talk about with my number three thing. But SI on the iPad. Um, I heard the USA Today has been getting rave reviews about its iPad uh, program, which is free. Um, New York Times. Everyone's on the iPad and it just makes the reading experience awesome. Is there advertising in it? Uh, yeah, the, the the Sports Illustrated one is straight up like the Sports Just Illustrated, the flipping the pages with, with the exception of the actual right. stuff. Yeah, yeah, because I imagine someday as more and more people go to it, I imagine eventually it will. I bet you they'll all be free. Maybe you'll pay for like additional content right. or something like that. It's awesome though. My second thing last Thursday, uh, this is a little bit local, but it was the twentieth anniversary of Super Bowl twenty five. Uh, I was yep. reading a, a buddy of mine. Yeah, wide right. I was reading a buddy of mine. His name's Kevin. He's got a blog, Be More Saber Fan at or dot blogspot.com. Be More Saber Fan And he did a real good job of pointing out specific plays and just where the game went wrong and all the ways it could have gone right. And what was the third down that they blew, that let the Giants like convert? Thirteen, 17? I think. Seventeen was it? There, I guess the uh, the safety could have been inches from being a. Strip fumble in the end zone. Mm-hmm. And he said in the article that Bruce Smith had his hand. And the ball not coming out is amazing. I think what the article did more than anything, other than depressing me, was uh, it made me realize how little I remembered about the actual game. Like I remembered exactly where I was. I remembered who I was with, where I sat in my living room. Uh, I remember my aunt making a comment because my parents had gone out to a party. My aunt made a comment. He's gonna miss it. Don't I mean, just that drove me nuts. Uh, but the entire game for me became just that kick, mm-hmm. and it made me realize I watched sports less closely then, but it probably meant more then. Like I, maybe that's not true. Maybe I've just forgotten what it's like to be have a team that uh, every time they stepped on the field, I felt like they were gonna win. I mean, the Sabers kind of did that a couple of years like, ago, yeah, two thousand six, two thousand seven. They were they were great, but that's. Those Sabres are the closest I've come in my adult life to having a winning team that I root for. That's a bummer, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Wide right. Yeah. Sucks for Bills fans. And then the rest of the Super Bowl is just, I mean, they're not even anything to look back at. They got worse and worse. Yeah, they were horrible. All right, my number three thing. Another kind of little controversy. Peter King is writing a 6,000-word piece on Commissioner Goodell okay. in this week's edition of Sports Illustrated. Now, every Monday, Peter King writes a pretty popular column called The Monday Morning Quarterback. And in this Monday Morning Quarterback, he said he wanted to empty his notebook of all the stuff that he didn't get to include in his 6,000-word piece on Commissioner Goodell. And he put a couple of extra tidbits in there. Something about Michael Vick and how proud the commissioner of his, is of him. And also something about Roethlisberger. Oh, I know where you're going with this, yeah. And he said that Roethlisberger, that Commissioner... He said the commissioner told him that he interviewed more than two dozen Steelers, quote unquote, and nobody backed up Roethlisberger. And there was all kinds of stories like Ben wouldn't sign my jersey and Ben's a jerk, blah, 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 blah. Well, Roethlisberger and the commissioner kind of were real upset with Peter King for writing that. And Peter Peter King actually did a a correction and said, oh, what what I meant to say, I misunderstood the commissioner. What I meant to say was... 
that I interviewed two dozen players, not necessarily two dozen Steelers. Right, but either way, they said nobody had anything good to say about them. And do you no. think that's true? But or? the difference is, is it's like two dozen enemies not supporting you or two dozen teammates, teammates not right. supporting you, which, a, which is a big difference. And I think the timing of it is a little kind of wrong and raw to bring that up From right Peter now. From Peter King's point of view. Yeah, and right. it, it's going to be interesting. The Ben Roethlisberger story is going to be the most interesting thing this week, and it's how it's covered how it's handled, and what things say about Ben. What is interesting so far is that it's been very quiet in general, the the Super Bowl. There's not a lot of storylines coming out of it. It's all about the two teams right now. And the the big injury. Right. The two teams, the big injury, that's about it. Right, yeah. And and Roethlisberger. The trash talk has gone away. And the collective bargaining. Well, right, right, yeah. It's kind of like the black eye on the Super Bowl. My last thing is actually something I am incredibly excited about, Uh, and it hasn't even brought anything to fruition yet, but Thursday, the Sabres, another local thing, are going to announce that Terry Pagula will be the new owner of the team. They said it, they equated to buying a house, that there's closing and stuff to go into it, so I don't know exactly when it'll go into effect, but, I mean, this this is thrilling news. his net worth as of September 2010, according to Forbes, is $3 billion, which makes him the 100th richest person in America, tying him with people like Steven Spielberg and putting him ahead of people like Oprah. He has three times the money that their current owner, Tom Galasano, has. Uh, he likes hockey? Yeah, bigger than anything, <laughs> he likes hockey, and he wants a team just because he wants a team. It's been a dream of his forever. Yeah. He donated $80 million to the to Penn, Penn State, State hockey yeah. program so they could go from club to D1. So... As far as like the business side of sports making me excited about something about sport, this is about as excited as I can be for something on that side of this sports yeah, world. As a Sabre season ticket holder, I'm pumped about the move. Uh, Galasano, I think his legacy should be that he came in, he saved the Sabres from bankruptcy, he kept the franchise in Buffalo. Uh, the team went on two great, fun Stanley Cup runs that fell a little short. And then he sold it. Made his money and handed it off to someone who loves hockey, someone who's going to be in the owner's box every night, someone who's going to care about winning, care about losing. And I heard it's gonna, he's going to be the third richest owner in sports. I think he's only going to be behind... Cuban? Um, Allen. Paul Allen, right, of the Seahawks. Okay. And I could be wrong here, but he's going to be one of the richest yeah. owners in sports. I think I heard about third. Yeah, there's not many guys that are uh, have more money than Oprah that own sports teams. So, All right, Donnie. Well, there we go. There's three things. Uh, let us know what you think about the production, how you like it. And when we come back, we're not going to make you wait the whole show. We're not going to keep teasing it. We're just going to do it, Donnie. We're going to welcome the great Dave Damashek to our program. So we'll be right back with Dave.
Our next guest was born on the banks of the Three Rivers in beautiful Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He is a graduate of Indiana University with a degree in broadcast journalism. Currently, he is a fantasy football analyst on NFL.com, writing columns, shooting videos, and appearing on NFL Fantasy Live. He also hosts his own weekly podcast on the Ace Broadcasting Network with his friend David Feeney called Dave's of Thunder. He was a, a writer for Comedy Central's hit show, The Man Show, and is currently producing pages at Jimmy Kimmel Live. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Dave Damashek. How's it going, Dave? Oh, swell after that song. <laughs> I'm still waving my terrible towel. I can't wait. Poor Aaron Rodgers and company. That's what's coming for you, fella. Now, do you think you can get the uh, Jerry Jones and company to play Renegade during the Super Bowl, or how is that going to work? Oh, I, I fully expect Jerry Jones to do something like uh, like change the giant jumbotron hanging over the field to uh, you know housewives of the OC or something like that out of spite <laughs> since it's not his team. Anything he can do, he's this is his nightmare. You know, I mean, the, how uh, unless it were the Forty ers instead of the Packers, I don't know how it could be any worse for him to have these two teams rolling into his stadium when six months ago. He was uh, was uh, hoping that it was going to be his Cowboys playing a home game. Yeah, then that didn't come close to happening. Well, b- no, indeed. Back when Jerry Jones was thinking his team was going to be in the Super Bowl, your team kind of struck a little bit of diversity when your or adversity when your quarterback was suspended for the first four games. What are you talking about? <laughs> Chaz, Chaz Batch got into trouble about something. <laughs> no, I, I think it was Roethlisberger missed the first four games of the season. Did you uh, ever expect? To oh be yeah, a, that's right. He was out with something, or what? Whether he had a cold or something. I don't yeah. remember. I don't remember what it was exactly. But uh, did you think you guys were a Super Bowl team when you knew that Big Ben was going to miss the first quarter? Here's what I'll say. I I did say back in July and August that who knows what's going to happen with the offense, and it really didn't even have to do so much with Roethlisberger. But obviously, that was going to be a, a a big hurdle to survive the first month. But if you looked at the schedule. The way it laid out, I figured that they still should be two and two, and if they were lucky, they'd be three and one, which is exactly what they were. Um, but I, you know, I didn't know if they if the offense would be any good because of the loss of San Antonio, and I figured that you know is Mike Wallace really going to be able to carry the load as the number one? A lot of questions there, and you know the offensive line has proven to be crummy once again. But the one thing I did say over and over again is that defense will return to being dominant, and that much did happen. So I thought there was a chance they would be a uh, a, a really good team. I thought that their biggest problem was going to be that they were in the same division as the Ravens, and I guess uh, Joe Flacco. That, that that team's a weird team. They still don't real now that it's all said and done. It still doesn't really make much sense. That they added all those big name receivers who ultimately, you know, dropped, dropped uh, it at the end. Two yeah, of them right. dropped those yeah. two passes at the end of the game that would have kept it kept it going. Um, but uh, you look at it, they, they they just the sum didn't equal the parts there. I don't know what what, what, what why that is either. The offensive line should be dominant. Uh, Ray Rice with depth behind him. All those receivers, a pretty dominant defense. They had the bad secondary, but everybody's flawed um, in the NFL now. There's no perfect team anymore because of free agency and right. all the injuries that happen now constantly with every team. But, uh, yeah, that was weird. But So I guess to answer your question, I didn't think they were going to go to the Super Bowl, but I thought they would be. I, I did expect because everybody was uh, predicting doom and gloom for them. I thought they were going to be better than most people did. I thought they were going to be a double-digit win team, that's for sure. When I think of the Steelers, it's pretty incredible. You know, we're in Buffalo, 
And since 2001... I'm sorry. <laughs> since 2001, the Bills have had five coaches. Since 1969, the Steelers have had three. How, what kind of culture have the Roonies created that allows for such stability? And really, as you go for your seventh Lombardi trophy... You know what? Hey, you know, it's, it's funny. I was talking with somebody the other day about that, about that very thing. It's so strange, and it's not just to the head coaches either. It's strange that so many NFL teams, when the template is there, you know, they're, they're, they're repeat examples of the successful teams are the ones that are the most stable. The teams that don't go out and chase big-name free agents are the ones that always, are, I mean, that are, that are almost perennial. There's no team that makes the playoffs every single year. Right. But, 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 you know, it, it is the same handful of teams that's in the mix every year. It's always the Patriots, Steelers, Ravens, Colts, Eagles, you know, Giants, Giants and Cowboys yep. are usually around there. And the Cowboys are the only one out of that group that really goes out sometimes and chases the big-name free agents. But then the teams that do go out there and do it are the teams that do nothing. You know, obviously the Redskins are the ones that flame out year after year. And then the, the, one, the one exception to that rule is your inexplicable uh, love of the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. And they go Drew out Brees. and through Breeze. And so, so that's a... <laughs> and that, Reggie White. That's the, what's that? And Reggie White. Probably Reggie yeah, White. Yeah, Reggie yeah, White and Drew Brees. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I never thought about that. Maybe those are the two biggest... Two biggest, yeah. ...successful free agent signings ever is, uh, you know, if you were going to put a team like that together. But yeah, those are the exceptions that prove the rule. It's weird. Well, I mean, everybody, if you... Have, uh, you know, unless you're a complete catastrophe of a coach, you know, unless you're Rich Kotite with the Jets, you guys are probably even too young yep. to remember how bad Rich <laughs> I remember Kotite Rich. was. Yeah. What was he, 1 in 15 or whatever he was? He yeah. was a bum. Awful. But besides <laughs> him, they, uh, you know, unless it's a, an apocalypse, you know, with, the, with your coach, just stick with them. It's going to, you know, you're more often than not, it's going to end up settling down. One thing's for certain, when you keep changing coaches like that, it, it seems like a, a recipe for mediocrity or, or failure year after year to just keep doing that. I was actually pleasantly surprised just because of his Pittsburgh ties and also because I, you know, I, have, I have family up in uh, Buffalo as well, so I, I pity um, the sports fans of, of your region. Um, but uh, I was kind of happy to see Chan do better than expected. I thought, man, if, if you would ask me, well, I, I said over and over again, and in the summertime, man, what are they thinking? Right. Why would they? Why Chan Gailey of all people? Out of nowhere, Trent Edwards is everything. They <laughs> of all with all their needs on that team. Why CJ Spiller? But it, it seems like uh, you know you, you could be in worse shape. There are teams out there worse than uh, going into next year than than what you guys will be. Now, so it seems like you kind of favor the way the Steelers have kind of got about it with the draft and whatnot. So this year they obviously struck gold with Pouncey, and, I mean, he's a big story going into the week with uh, his injury, but how big was he? Is there a case we made he was the MVP of the Steelers this year? Nah, I mean, MVP, it's a, I, you know, it's an interesting point you make. It, that, I mean, he definitely was one of the more valuable guys. They're in trouble, man. I mean, that, it's, you know, yeah. they're, they are 60 minutes away from winning, so for, in just one game, you hope they can survive. You know, if, 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 they, if this were the start of the playoffs, I would... I would say the Steelers have no chance of doing anything, but now they're down to just one game. So hopefully they can survive with uh, the uh, the legendary Doug Ligurski uh, <laughs> snapping the ball. But um, yeah, he's huge. I mean, that offensive line. I, as a matter of fact, for uh, NFL dot com, you know, in the days leading up to the Super Bowl, one of the things I'm going to be doing is um, 
And it was, I've already put it together, my all-time Steeler team, my roster of 53 to go against the uh, the Packers all-time roster. And I'm just going to, I'm going to talk with, uh, with another guy and we're going to debate it um, in a segment. We're going to, you know, I'm going to be blogging about it during the week and everything too. Um, we can find all that and- on NFL.com. Yeah, on NFL.com, and so I, so so I am you know sort of put that thing together, and it, the, the biggest controversial decision if you're putting together your roster with the Steelers is who's your starting quarterback? <laughs> because if you start going through it, you know it's fairly easy to figure out that, right. that you know obviously Franco is going to be in the backfield, and Lynn Swan's going to be one of your receivers, and Mean Joe is going to be on the line. But do you go Bradshaw or Roethlisberger? Right. And a lot of people already, you know, talking to some of my chums back in uh, back on the banks of the Three Rivers, a lot of them said, well, how could you not go with Bradshaw? And to me, you know, listen, if the Packers win, uh, you know, 38 to, to 7, then, then I'll change my opinion on this. <laughs> but as it stands now, Roethlisberger, the difference between him and Bradshaw, Bradshaw, as great a big game QB, as there as there's ever been, witness you know four for four in the Super Bowls against good teams, um, but uh, but the difference is no uh, not Bradshaw in his best years, not Tom Brady currently, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, not anybody that I can think of, definitely not in the NFL now, can be successful as a QB with as bad an offensive line as the Steelers have. The Ro- Roethlisberger, it's, he doesn't get enough credit. I know that now, forever, now it's never going to go away. Now the thing that's always going to, people are going to talk. You, you'll never. There's trouble, right? You know, you're right. I mean, yeah. you know, his his uh, uh, obituary in the first paragraph is going to include some reference to uh, to the charges against him. But, uh, but, you know, so people don't like him. But it seemed like even before this year, it didn't seem that way. It definitely was clear that he was not held in this high regard as, as your guy Breeze and the other guys I named. People would even talk about, like, Phil Rivers is better than Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger has two Super Bowl rings. How is right. Philip Rivers? On what level is Phil Rivers preferable to, to Ben Roethlisberger? It makes me crazy. And like I say, the thing that he doesn't get enough credit for is, man, how does he do it behind that awful? I mean, that that offensive line is filled with bums. And that, and now they have uh, the the offensive line they started the season with is uh, they're down three of those guys. They have right. two of those guys left, and they're in the Super Bowl again. I would say, well, they have no chance if that's the case, except for the fact that they won the Super Bowl two years ago with arguably an even worse offensive line. It's crazy how how he does it. He doesn't get enough credit. But anyway, the roundabout. Uh, getting back to your question, Pouncey was huge for them because yeah, the offensive line. Was was still pretty bad this year, but they did run the ball a little bit better than they have in the last couple of years. And I guess you would say that uh, that he deserves a lot of the credit for that. But on the other hand, I have to say this: one of the most pretentious things I think is when we football fans uh, talk about individual offensive linemen. That's one of those things when people are like, "Hey, that guy's a great offensive lineman." <laughs> he is based on what? How, how do you know? What, what can you except that people have told us that they're that they're really good? You know we. He is? All right. Well, I mean, I don't know how to, you know, I when I watch games, unless I, I, I put the binoculars right on the one offensive lineman, how would I possibly be able to tell that? I can tell you if, wow, that offensive line is way worse with that guy out of the lineup. But I could, I mean, I, I love when people get into that kind of debate, like average fans like you and me being like, uh, hey, Anthony Munoz. Have you ever seen anyone better at uh, offensive tackle than him? I, I don't know. They're all <laughs> 320-pound fat guys to me. I don't know who's good or who's bad. Aren't they about the same? <laughs> all right, uh, Dave, 
with what you said about Roethlisberger, like what he is doing behind that terrible offensive line, that would be probably a knock on him, though, that he does tend to hang on to the ball sometimes a little bit too long. As a fan, like watching him play, do you, I mean, are you just biting your nails at time when he's running around back there, or do you love that he does that, or? Well, I know that's what people say. That's what you know. People who don't, when you know when I when I bring that up, when I say, well, you, you know, what do you think, uh, you know, Brady or Manning, if they had to play behind that line, they would get murdered back there, and they and people defend. Those guys would say, well, they get rid of the ball more quickly. That's what they would do. They would just uh, they would uh, take a drop, plant their back foot, and, and get rid of it. But, of course, we see what happens. You know, we saw what happened when the Jets got some pressure on Brady a couple right. of weeks ago. And we saw in the middle of the season when Peyton Manning even when, – when somebody – gets uh gets within 20 feet of the guy you know you, you know the ball goes sailing and he makes that baby face why are you guys blocking for me um, kind of face um but uh no i mean listen i i i, I how can't i love him now like if, if he were 50 50 right um in, in in taking care of business then i might be like man i guess you just take the good with the bad but i mean he does it all the time he that's another thing he doesn't get credit for is when the game's on the line with, you know, if there are four or five minutes left in the game, I'll take him over. Re- I mean, literally, I'll take him over anybody in the league now. Who, who's who's better when it's in the clutch? That running around nonsense when the game's on the line seems to work. I don't know why that is. I don't know why, <clears throat> you know, I mean, so you deal with him sailing some balls early in the game. Um, you know, he's not as accurate as those other guys. But when the game's on the line, all that running around nonsense and everything, it seems to work, you know, nine times out of ten for him. So I'm not complaining. Yeah, well, it's the Sportscasters here with uh, Dave Damashek. You can find Dave on uh, Twitter. The Twitter. We love Twitter here, Dave. Uh, you oh, can did fi- you? Yeah, well, we love it. <laughs> you can find him at Damashek. Um, he's also, like you said, on NFL.com. I heard, uh, I heard an interview with Heinz Ward today, and it sure does seem like he could be this year's Bettis. Um, you know, with a victory, just kind of sail into the, into the abyss and, and say goodbye. I don't think so. I find that hard. He ain't going to Tire, is I don't it? know. I mean, I, mean, I heard him. To, I heard him today since we never heard Boo about until, and like you say, in the last few days. Yeah, it's just been the last few days. He's been saying stuff like, "Well, I don't have anything left to prove." But how? Where do you look at him as an all-time stealer? Is he a top two? I mean, he's no worse than top three wide receivers of all time, right? I know there's two Hall of Famers there, but correct. He's he's definitely top three um, statistically. He's. I mean, he's definitely. I find it laughable. When people want to debate whether or not he belongs in the Hall of Fame, obviously he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, those guys, by the way, those guys, you know, football players, they love to swoon over uh, his blocking. You know, even though, like, maybe maybe he does that once or twice a game, he, uh, he issues one of those devastating blocks, but it's as though that's all he does. But, though, you know, those ex-football players, they love, like, he's, a, he's not a wide receiver, he's a football player. That's, that's what he is. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that sort of nonsense, as they like to say. <laughs> But 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 the fact is, you know, he is about as tough a wide receiver as you've ever seen. Um, but if I had to choose, go back. Here's what you can do: go on, go on the YouTube. If you're for, you know, obviously, if you know the Twitter, then you're familiar with some of these. Uh, th- this this uh, internet thing is yeah, gangbusters. We've, we've so there's all it. sorts yep. of stuff on there, and mm-hmm. on YouTube, you can watch the original broadcast of all the Super Bowls now. Like well, all the way through, and it's fantastic. I mean, I guess if you're a Bills fan, that wouldn't be that much fun. But um, I like uh, to watch he- last year's. Yeah, well, that's right. So yeah. you could do that. But what's really fun? I just was actually because one of the things I've been doing for the for the NFL.com is uh, the shame report, and so I'm going to be doing in a couple of days the um, the Super Bowl 
uh, edition of the shame report, the most shameful plays in Super Bowl history. So I was going through all those, and I figured I would they would be the clips would be all NFL films clips. But I found the original, you know, Garo Yapremian in, in Super Bowl Seven throwing that ter- you know that thing. Right, yeah. Kurt Gowdy, Cal Kurt Gowdy, the legendary, the late great Kurt Gowdy says at the end of that play, "What a kooky play!" <laughs> um, so uh, does Leon but, Lowe so, at least make the so list? watching all those is is awesome. But if you go back and you watch those Super Bowls that the Steelers played in in the 70s. Lynn Swan, you know, is very dramatic. Obviously, you've seen the one the the, the catch he makes at yep. the 50-yard line in 10 against, uh, against the Cowboys. But, uh, you, know, and, you know, how spectacular he was. But people forget John Stallworth also huge. I mean, not just, not just making catches that were big in big situations, but great catches too. I mean, big, I mean, like, wow, how did he catch that ball in Super Bowl 13 against the Steelers with two, I mean, against the Cowboys with two guys around him? How did, you know, Super Bowl 14 in the fourth quarter, he breaks, you know, he wins the game with the, with, by catching two bombs from Bradshaw. So I got to go with those two. Heinz Ward isn't as good as those two guys were, even though the statistics say otherwise. But uh, yeah, he's, you know, listen, that's one of the reasons the all-time Steelers team would, would certainly annihilate the all-time, the all-time Packers team. Because I got <laughs> Heinz Ward as my number three. Now, would the, uh, would the great Leon Lett appear on the uh, shame report this week for um, his blunder in uh, the fourth Well, Bills I don't want to give too much away. No, no <laughs> listen, we got to get, uh, I, you know, I, the, something like that. We'll see him. I think we'll see, you know, I, I, Janet Jackson's bosom probably makes an appearance <laughs> somewhere in there for what she did to our society. Um, the, uh, you know, I'm sure Jackie Smith will make an appearance, dropping the ball in the end zone in Super Bowl 13. We got all sorts of good ones lined up and ready to go. Jack Squirek uh, picking off Joe Theismann just before the half. Maybe we'll even see some Leon Lett. <laughs> all right, well, we just got a couple more minutes left with Dave Damashak. Like I said, you can find him. On Twitter at Damashek, D A M E S H E K, and you can also find him on NFL.com. Dave, do you ever just pinch yourself? I don't. I don't want. I don't. I don't want you. I don't want you to waste time uh, with with that nonsense. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm stunned that you haven't brought up uh, the Sabers yet. Well, I was just going to ask you: Do you pinch yourself? <laughs> uh, do you pinch yourself sometimes with all the success of the Steelers and that hockey team you got? I mean, it's unbelievable. You might have arguably three of the best, I don't know, 15 or 20 players in the league, definitely two of the best four. And, you know, you, you just hosted the Winter Classic, and, you know, you, you've won Stanley Cups, you've been in Stanley Cups, you've had Mario Lemieux, um, you've had Roberto Clemente. I mean, do you ever just pinch yourself as a Pittsburgh sports fan? I mean, when does it end? Well, never is when it ends. Bad news for the rest of America. This will continue. It is the city of champions for a reason. But Except listen, the Pirates. That, you know, as you say, and don't forget, <laughs> uh, don't forget pit basketball in the city of champions. Twenty, you know, uh, you know, ought eight just two years ago. You had uh, Kid Crosby picking the silver up over his head in Detroit. Um, a couple months after, um, you know, San Antonio Holmes caught that uh, ball tiptoeing on the uh, in the end zone, um, but you know, this year could could be even better if you think about it. Because if the Steelers win, and then you have Pitt hoops, which really might go to the Final Four as good as they are this year, they're in the top, uh, you know, whatever five after their loss, and uh, and then like you say, Kid Crosby, it's too bad that in the short term. He's been out with the concussion and Malkin's out, game, but maybe yeah. you know the 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 glass half full way of looking at it is that uh, maybe this means that they'll be you know not they'll be fresher for the postseason. Uh, 
But um, yes, and the other thing about that, that you know, talk about uh, pinch myself. Think about how lucky Pittsburgh hockey fans have been in the last twenty-five years. Really, when I, I you know I start watching, I start going over to the Igloo to watch games, probably in seventy-eight, seventy-nine with the old man when they were still wearing the uh, the two-tone blues as their only uniform. <clears throat> and in those days, their best player was probably Rick Kehoe. But um, then they get sixty-six Lemieux in eighty-four, and since then they've had some. I mean, you could make a case. Yager, um, Francis. You know, in terms of Art Ross trophies, in terms of scoring champions, you, you, you know, Yager, Lemieux, um, Crosby. Kid Crosby, and Malkin, four of those guys. And then Ronnie Francis was, uh, you know, was obviously played with them for uh, for those two cups as well. So Penguins fans have gotten to see literally some of the greatest forwards in the history of the game. Yes, especially in the last. 20, 25 years or so. Yes, it's an embarrassment of riches. What can I tell you? <laughs> so with all the hockey success, have you uh, forgiven Marion Hossa yet? I, he got his. I was disappointed to see <laughs> him uh, win a cup, but he, you know, you know, the fates bit him. You know, he got what he deserved having to skate, to watch, to shake hands with all those Penguins um, the year after he departed Pittsburgh because Detroit, he claimed, gave him a better chance of winning a cup. Do I forgive him? No. You know, have I moved on? Am I focused squarely on uh, on the green and gold of uh, the Green Bay Packers? That's the task at hand right now. <laughs> After that's come and gone, then I'll return to focusing in on puck. And if if need be, if it if it comes to Hawks and Penguins, uh, I will do my very best to put the to put the jinx back on the Hosa. Two more things to get you out of here. First, ten years from now. Who's going to be able to brag about having a better player, Buffalo and Tyler Myers or Pittsburgh and Latang? You know, it's funny because I, you know, really for I feel like I was in charge now. Like you know, he got he was a write in to uh, get into the All Star game this season. But I, as long as at least two years ago, if not three years ago, I I feel like I was leading the campaign for him as a guy who was going to one day. Uh, uh, you know, bring home, trophy. bring home the yep. Norris because I mean, you know, he's he's uh, he's. Do- I mean, he the wheels on him alone. You could just see that he was get, he was going to be a dominant defenseman because of yeah uh, because of the mobility and you know you always heard tale of of how spectacular a scorer he one day might be. But I mean, man, he's rugged now and everything. Now your boy is is uh, also swell. It's a you know like they say. I mean, I guess that's the big story in the NHL or all the great young defensemen around the league. Drew Doughty ain't no slouch, and you know there are a bunch of guys. Um, but uh, the Johnsons. I guess your guy. You know, I don't know. Yeah, listen, your guy is uh, unique. I mean, well, not unique with uh, Zidane Chara in the league, but uh, he's a better man, skater he, than Chara, though. He can, he's what? He's a better skater than Chara. I think he's he glides a little bit better, and he's got better offensive skills than Chara. But Chara is more of a man, you know, stronger and tougher. Well, but, that's always you know they always say that about it's the same. You know, I, I think that's also true, and uh, you see it most in in the NBA that um, you know, like the the, the when when nineteen year olds come into the league, the smaller guys, the point guards, the the two guards thrive immediately more than the bigger guys do you know in the in the nhl and everything you know a guy like uh, a guy like myers has to get it you know it takes seems like it takes most defensemen dowdy was i guess an exception to the rule but and actually myers had a pretty nice uh rookie season too but for the you know 
four years from now, like you say, I mean, a half a decade at least from now, man, he's going to be dominant. Yeah, you, know, yep. you know that that's what he's really when he when he fills Grows out in. a little bit and he gets it really gets his legs under him and has a better understanding. Yeah, he's, by the way, I I've been saying this too. I if if no one's done this in Buffalo, this is this is free. You take this and run <laughs> with it. My payment will be its success. Um, is there a, there must be a, at least one bar there that's serving up a uh, a Thai Mai, right? Instead of a Mai Thai, <laughs> somebody should do a, you know. I'll do a some T-Y-M-Y. That's a great idea. We'll like. check with the Pearl Street Grill right by the HSBC Arena. Okay, that's last. A, listen, that's a gangbusters idea. Don't gloss it. Somebody take a. I'm note writing it down. I'm writing it down. Writing down. That down. The, the Thai Mai. It'll be the hot thing. But instead, well, I don't know. I, I, instead I, of the wrong Mai Thai, I'm a man. But. Uh, but uh, maybe there's a way to put something in it to make it blue and put a gold straw in it. Done and done. It's going to be a hit for the next decade in Buffalo. I like it. All right, last thing, Dave. Who wins the Super Bowl? What's the score and who's the MVP? Um, <laughs> let's say Packers 31, Steelers 21. Okay. Aaron Rodgers is your MVP. Okay, so you're going to go with the reverse jinx on the podcast today? I don't care what you You can call whatever you want. How dare you charge me with something like that? Hey, listen, the Steelers have no chance going into this game. They have no <laughs> offensive line. They don't have a secondary that can compete with uh, with those receivers of the Packers. The, the Steelers are lucky to be in the game come halftime. But if they can somehow pull off a miracle, it's something that all of America can celebrate. <laughs> all right, Dave. Well, I know I can speak for Don. We uh, probably wouldn't be sitting here if not for, uh, if not for you. So we really appreciate you coming on with us and being on the show. It means a lot. Uh, the sportscasters, thank you very much, Dave Damashek. We appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, fellas. Uh, you know, and uh, muzzle tub on the the gangbusters uh, success coming out of the gate so far. Wonderful show. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. kind of trembling after that that dramatic music is there for one reason and that's because before we get to our next interview we want to make a little bit of an announcement <laughs> we want to make a uh, make a declaration let everybody know that like last week okay let, let me say this last week we did a spot in the show where we talked about a movie and we talked about june 17th 1994 and hopefully some of you went out and watched it and maybe enjoyed it something that you uh discovered in the world of sports media well, we're going to start, we're going to take a page out of Oprah's book, because I know Donnie's a big fan of Oprah. Huge. Yep. yep he watches Oprah weekly, daily. He's a big <laughs> fan of the OWN Network, the Oprah Winfrey Network. That's right. Yep. Dr. Phil is uh, his doctor of choice. <laughs> and so since Donnie is such a big fan of uh, the Oprah, we are going to have a book club here on the Sportscasters. And every maybe month or every other month, we're going to read a book together. And this month... We've chosen to kick this off with a book called Scorecasting, The Hidden Influences Behind How Sports Are Played and Games Are Won. And it's written by uh, Tobias Moskowitz and L. John Wertheim. And uh, the book is supposedly something sort of like a Freakonomics Freakonomics for sports. So this month, Donnie has a copy of it. I have a copy of it. And starting today... We're going to start reading Scorecasting. If you would like, we'd encourage you to pick up a copy of Scorecasting and read along with us. In the next couple of weeks, we might kind of update you, let you know where we are, what we think of the book a little bit. 
March 1st, which is about four episodes from now, we're going to have a little roundtable discussion about scorecasting. We're going to hopefully have one of the authors on, and then we're going to give away a copy of the book to one of our listeners. Not exactly sure how we're going to do that yet, but we do have a copy from the publisher. Tammy Blake was uh, nice enough at the publishing company to send us a copy. So that's the big book club announcement, Donnie. What do you think? I'm excited. Uh, I haven't read a full book in a long time. It's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be interesting to see if we can encourage our listeners to read. Um, we kind of want to be a smart cast, yeah. And we don't want to be we don't want to be dummies. So we're going to uh, we're going to try this book club. We're going to try it out with a seemingly very interesting book. It's actually number one on uh, Amazon best on Amazon. And yep. then maybe you know after that the next book we'll do is the ESPN one, which is going to be. Uh, really big for us because we're going to have the author on and that's going to be a huge book in the world of sports. But uh, that's the book club announcement. So why don't we take a quick pause and we've already had Dave Damashek to talk about the Steelers. So why don't we come back with Rob Domofsky to talk about the Packers. We'll be right back. Our next guest, Donnie, was born in Arlington Heights, Illinois, and is a graduate of Ohio University. Currently, he lives in Green Bay, where he's a sports writer for the last 14 years for the Green Bay Post-Gazette. Rob Domofsky, welcome to the Sportscasters. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So, I, I got to tell you, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it's maybe five weeks ago now, I was laying on my couch Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock, and I know that the Packers have to win a game right. against the Bears to go to the playoffs. And I keep looking over. I think I, I have about three TVs in the room where I watch football. And I keep, looking, I keep looking over to the TV that I have this game on. And it's like three to nothing. Right, right. I, nothing's going on. And it's like, are the Packers going to? And now here we are, a sixth seed into Atlanta win. Or that was the second game even. The three straight right. wins. How did the Packers go from barely making the playoffs at Lambeau to being in, in Dallas and getting ready to play for the Lombardi Trophy? And, and don't forget, they, you know, they lost to the Lions in yeah. December, a late-season game, and they lost to the Patriots. And they had to win their last two. Even before that Bears game, they had to beat the Giants, and, and something happened that week. They, they just blew out the Giants here. Now, the Giants were coming off that terrible meltdown loss um, to the Eagles, uh, where they blew, what was it, a, I can't remember, a big lead in the last seven and a half minutes, three-touchdown lead or something in the last, you know. Right, right, the Michael Vick. Quarter. So yep. something happened to these guys, you know, in that uh, Giants game where the offense just really started clicking. Um, and the defense, you know, was pretty steady all year, making big plays, getting pressure on the quarterback. And special teams-wise, um, you know, they just came together at the end. They the, the punter just completely shut down Devin Hester and, you know, all of a sudden their special teams went from being, you know, a liability last year to being, you know, an asset now, and they got hot. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if a hot team, you know, sometimes can win, and, you know, they became confident. The head coach, Mike McCarthy, just instilled this, you know, level of confidence in them, and I, at the time, I wondered if it was false confidence, but it's, it, even if it was, it's turned into something real now, and, and they won three in a row on the road, and, and here they are. 
Now, we're based out of Buffalo, and I got to ask you about James Starks. Um, he's been kind of one of the big, big breakout names in the playoffs. Um, right. And he's from, he went to the, from Niagara Falls, went to the University of yeah. Buffalo, didn't get to play his senior season, um, got drafted in the sixth round by Green Bay. How, how did he go from being uh, on the PUP list and inactive and not practicing well to being this big star in the playoffs? Well, as many of the fine people from upstate western New York reminded me, as I wrote, that they told me it's the university at Buffalo. They <laughs> for that, so I'll never make that mistake again, I guess. But, um, you know, it's a really interesting story just because, I mean, like you said, you know, he did not play his senior year. Yet from a you know he's just a physical specimen, big strong guy, six six one six two has a really you know good build for a running back, and you know they drafted him totally on potential. So he shows up, the first rookie camp pulls a hamstring, and it was a bad one, just a you know just basically shredded the thing, and he couldn't you know couldn't play all during training camp, so they have to put him on the PUP list, which means he can't do anything for the first six weeks of the season. Then he starts practicing in November. If they don't play him, they don't play him, they don't play him. Finally, they throw him on the roster. He goes out against San Francisco and has, I think it's like 75 or 85 yards. But even then, that didn't, you know, that didn't convince the, the team that he was going to be the guy because he was inactive for a couple games after that. Uh, and then goes out late in the season, has a really good showing in the playoff game against uh, Philadelphia, and ran for like 123 yards. And, you know, he's not... You know, he's not like he's this proven commodity, but he has given them a little bit of a running game, you know, that they really didn't have basically almost the whole regular season after losing Ryan Grant uh, to the uh, ankle injury. Yeah, Brandon Jackson just didn't go. Brandon Jackson was not the answer. He's a really good third down back, does a great job in blitz pickup, but he's just not a starting running back. And, you know, they found one. I mean, the production hasn't always been, you know, great, but but they're sticking with him which McCarthy just didn't have the confidence to stick with the running game um, before Starks. And, you know, the attempts, he always says the attempts are as important as anything. And then just to keep the defenses honest, and he's given them a good play-action game. And Rodgers has been really, really good in the play-action. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, that's another very interesting story. As I remember watching the draft and not really sure who the San Francisco 49ers were going to pick first overall. Were they going to pick um right. Alex Smith or Aaron Rodgers and it ends up being Smith and then Rodgers has that long nightmare wait yep. in the uh green room and then he's behind Brett Favre and how good is Aaron Rodgers I mean can he be better cool. than Brett Favre Well I'll tell you what if he if he wins this Super Bowl you know and then has a chance to go to a couple more and you know and wins more than when I mean, Brett Favre only won one Super Bowl right. you know, played in two um you know, Favre's one of the things about Favre was he was this dynamic guy um, that took, you know, all kinds of chances and people, you know, loved him because he was just this wild man. But I think, you know, at the end of his career, it kind of caught up to him, and it's probably the reason that he didn't get the more Super Bowls. I mean, he had the interception here, his last throw as a Packer, um, yep. he lost to the Giants. And then Tracy Porter in New Orleans. Game. Yeah. Yep. That, and then, then, you know, the way it ended, obviously, in, in Minnesota. So, um, you know, who knows how Rodgers will evolve, but, you know, he's got a chance to, you know, this team looks like they're going to be pretty good in, in large part because of him for the next, you know, several years. So, um, you know, the, who knows? But there's always a possibility that, you know, let's say they play in the Super Bowl, lose, and never get back, then, you know, I think he'd say the answer is no. He's not, he's not better than Fire. All right. Now, the pass rush, you got kind of another interesting story is the play of Clay Matthews this year. I think he's really emerged into being one of the top defensive players. How have you seen the growth of Matthews the last few years? 
Yeah, I mean, he's for one, he's, he's healthier than he was as a rookie. He missed his entire training camp with a hamstring injury. He had one again this year, but it didn't seem to be as bad, and he just came out of the season like gangbusters. He had six sacks in the first two games. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a pretty decent chance he, he might end up being Defensive Player of the Year. It's probably down to him and maybe Peppers and, you know, I don't know, maybe Palomaro or Ed Reed or something, but um, well, Reed, I don't think Reed played enough. But, you know, there's, there's probably, uh, you know, uh, again, he's another guy like Rogers, a young superstar that looks like he's going to be, you know, doing this for for a long time. And you know, in this league, you need you know probably a half dozen playmakers, really special guys. You know, a couple on offense, a couple on defense, and then you just need a bunch of other solid guys. And that's what they have in Matthews. He, um, you know, that whole story about him being a walk-on at USC and not really playing until his senior year and just being a late bloomer. Uh, and he's just, you know, boy, he's just been unbelievable for these guys. He's been, when they switched to the 3-4 defense, they had to have a guy from the outside linebacker position that could rush the quarterback, and they traded up to, pit to get him specifically to do that, and he's lived up to it. Now, what about A.J. Hawks? Speaking of living up to it, it seems like he hasn't quite lived up to the billing when he has been at Ohio State. How do you guys... Yeah, just a, you know, it was a pick that was a steady, it was, it was the safe pick right. um, at the time. And he's been a steady player, and I, I think one thing about him is that he may not, you know, get all the publicity. They they don't ask him to to rush the quarterback very often. He's not in a position to get interceptions. But since he took over as the signal caller, basically the quarterback of this defense um, after Nick Barnett, uh, he was the one who did it, and he had an injury four games into the season. Uh, they have had no real major miscommunications. The defense, everybody's been on the same page. And that had been a problem here for for several years, where you know guys were you know one guy was playing zone, one guy was playing man, and nobody knew what they were doing. AJ Hawk should you know he deserves credit for for stabilizing that that on the on the, on the defensive end. He's been the signal caller and he's been pretty steady. Um, I think there's a pretty good chance that he'll end up coming back next year, even though he's basically they're going to need to redo his deal. But I think he's probably earned himself a, a spot here if if they can come to terms. You talk about uh, Barnett's injury. Another big injury that the Packers had in the, in the beginning of the year, besides Barnett and Grant, we've talked about is Jermichael Finley. Yeah, that was the big one. That was probably the biggest one. Yeah, and it seems like the offense really hasn't missed a beat. How, how dynamic could this offense have been if if Finley yeah. was in there? <laughs> well, the one thing Greg Jennings wouldn't have had the year he had. I mean, they they spent all the off season just tailoring their offense around Finley because he was just a monster at the end of last season. Had the huge game against the Cardinals in the wildcard playoff game last year. And, you know, they were going to – it actually took – when he went out, um, it took him a couple games. They Remember, they lost back-to-back games to Miami and Washington, and their offense did not look very good. And from that point on, they just made a point to get Jennings the ball. And, you know, had, had it took him a little while, but once they did, Jennings, you know, turned out to have a Pro Bowl season. Um, the, the question I have is, you know, when they do get Finley back, you know, they can't forget about how are they not going to forget about Jennings? How are they going to, you know, keep that going? But yeah, they um, they are they are definitely missing that um, guy that they can just send down the seam that you know has to be covered by a safety or a linebacker and just can't do it because of the mismatch. I mean, Finley's a six-five, you know, just a, a gazelle really running down the field. There's not many guys like him with his size, and they definitely miss it. And you know. That's going to be interesting to see how you know moving forward when he comes back next year how this offense works. One of the big storylines uh, going into the Super Bowl here is the injury on the Pittsburgh side of the ball in their center yeah. Pouncey. How can Green Bay take advantage of that injury and kind of capitalize on Pouncey not being there? 
Well, B.J. Raji, their nose tackle, you know, who's really an, another emerging star. I mean, he had that interception. Touchdown, right? Uh, for a touchdown in Chicago. I mean, that's a kind of a, I don't want to say a fluke play, but that's obviously <laughs> not the kind of stuff they ask him to do. They want him to, you know, shed blockers and, and make plays. And, and obviously, if he's going against the backup center, um, his opportunity to make plays should, in theory, be, you know, even greater. So I think that's a guy to watch. Or, you know, Raji's a guy, number 90, focus on him and see if he can have his way up front. Sportscasters here with uh, Rob Domofsky of the uh, Green Bay Gazette. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Rob, at Rob, D-E-M-O-V-S-K-Y. That's right, Rob, right? That's right. Thanks for spelling it because, you know, it's not easy. You <laughs> can find him on Twitter there. But uh, we got a couple more minutes with him, a couple more questions here. Why don't you tell our listeners, like, what the city of Green Bay is like when the Packers are on this kind of run? Because I, yeah. I think it's unique to the country. Maybe New Orleans was similar last year, but what is it like in Green Bay right now? Well, I mean, this is a town um, that, obviously, the football team is the absolute center and focus of this town. It's the only professional sport here. There is a Division One school that plays Division One basketball and has been in the NCAA tournament before, but it's you know it's a, that's a very distant second. You the know, Green Bay Gamblers. Um, so there's a, you know, this is just uh, it's just everything to these people here, and you know, people, everybody here, not everybody, but it seems like everybody runs into has season tickets or you know has some connection to this team and. You know, it's a town of about 150,000 people. It's not, you know, it's not the, the one-stop light town that, you know, the national media sometimes makes it out to be. But it is, you know, it is a very small town to have an NFL city or an NFL team in. And, I mean, everything you do, you know, every, I put it to you this way. When this team is playing, you know, that's when my wife goes to the grocery store because there's nobody there. <laughs> um, you, you, it's like a ghost town, really. It's, it's like one of those movies, like almost like a Stephen King movie, where the stoplights are blinking and, you know, there's nobody at the intersection. You know, it's just uh, it, if you, it's just very few people in this town don't have an interest in this team. And so right now the anxiety and the excitement is just at a, at a feverish pitch. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about the Green Bay gamblers and William Kessel stealing uh, the highlights <laughs> from the uh, Packers then, huh? No, they're on the back page of the sports section this week. <laughs> keep the keep the USHL on the back pages then, huh? Yep. So if the Green Bay Packers are the Super Bowl champions on Monday, what will be the big storyline? What, what what will be the key to the Packers winning the game? Yeah, I mean I you know, obviously I think Rodgers has to have, you know, a game like he had at Atlanta. Uh, that'll be key, but they're also going to have to rush to get Roethlisberger down. They're going to have to Matthews, somebody's going to have to make big plays. Maybe it's Woodson. Uh, but they're stars. I mean, the, the the guys that have have gotten them to this point, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Greg Jennings on offense, Clay Matthews, B.J. Raji, Charles Woodson, Tremont Williams. One of those guys is going to have to be the hero. I mean, I, I don't know which one it's going to be if if it happens, but you know, one of those guys, the big play guys, is going to have to win this game somehow, some way. And I mean, I you know that that that'll be the way they do it if they can do it. I'm interested to see how Fox is going to handle the Roethlisberger story, and I'm wondering what what the talk is in Green Bay about Roethlisberger and where he came from to this point. Um, how will you write the Roethlisberger story, if yeah, you will at all? Question. Yeah, that's a good question. We haven't um, really addressed it yet. Um, I mean, it'll have to be addressed at some point, you know, next week down in Dallas, and. Um, 
you know, I heard one of the, I can't remember if it was a national analyst, say something like, you know, I know, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty in this country, but when, you know, the same type of things come up twice or more than twice, right. whatever the case is, then, you know, you really have to wonder what kind of guy he is. But, um, you know, put it to you this way, if he was just, a, you know, a backup tight end and had done what he had done, he probably wouldn't be here. So or be there, you know, be a be a starter. But he's a quarterback. He's a two, you know, multiple time Super Bowl champion, and um, that's just you know that's the way it is. Stars, stars in this world and in, in this country, you know, just get better treatment than than, than somebody else does. So um, you know how that's portrayed this week. You know, I, I don't know, but a lot of it might depend on how he handles it, what kind of approach he, you know, if if he's combative and defensive about it, he's probably going to get ripped if he if he owns up to it, because uh, the questions are definitely going to be asked. But if, if he owns up to it, takes responsibility, then, you know, then it's probably hard to rip the guy. Right. What is, what is a Super Bowl week like for a beat reporter? What is it like hmm. for you down in Dallas? What kind of things do yeah. you... Yeah, when your team is involved in it, um, it's, you know, every little thing you you, you have to, watch for and every little thing you know becomes magnified especially you know in, in the twitter blogging age i mean it's just um, you know you, i used to say in the you know when you uh in the days before the internet not not before the internet but before this was so prevalent and the, the daily newspaper was the main source you know i always picked up the competition you know which in our case is the milwaukee paper the madison paper all the other papers in the state you'd, you'd hold your breath just hoping that you know they didn't have something that you didn't that you that you didn't have, so or that they had something that you didn't have. Now that's an every minute occurrence. You know, you're constantly reading Twitter, you're right. constantly reading all these other things. So it's just, um, you know, and we're we're producing special sections every day, and the coverage is just uh, you know ramped up. I and mean, we cover this team pretty intensely anyway, just because of what we talked about. It's the big show in town, and. Um, there's a lot of media, you know, in this state that covers this team. This is, you know, people think just because it's a small town, it doesn't mean that the team, there's not scrutiny because there, there's a ton of it because everybody in the state covers it. So, uh, but that's just magnified, you know, times a thousand this week. And I mean, <clears throat> from morning till night, there'll be stories to chase and, 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 you know, people to interview. And, and so it'll be, you know, once we hit the, the ground in Dallas, it'll be, uh, it'll be pretty intense. So is it is it the type of thing you allow yourself to have a little fun doing, or do you have to kind of reflect <laughs> back afterward and say, okay, the hard part's over with, that was kind of fun? Yeah, I mean, I've you know, covering the first one um, was fun just because of the experience, and there'll be, there'll be aspects of it that'll be fun, um, especially after the work's done. You know, there'll, there'll be time for some fun, but it's hard work. I mean, it's definitely a grind, and, um, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's fun work, but it's still work. Right, right. One thing that kind of interests me, we haven't talked about Coach Mike McCarthy yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting, last year's Super Bowl coach, Sean Payton, with the Saints, right. I think he interviewed for the job with McCarthy and was really, disappo- yeah, really disappointed not to get it. Ended up in New Orleans and got his Super Bowl. And I think the, the McCarthy hiring kind of got a little bit of flack at the time, kind of a name that maybe came out of nowhere for some right. people. How how is he how is he going to the perception of McCarthy going to change this week? Well, if you remember that class, I think it was what two thousand six. Two thousand six, like right? Eight eight guys. There were eight jobs that I mean, Peyton, uh, McCarthy, Childress. Um, I think Buffalo hired was it Jerron? Jerron, yeah. Year, yeah. Um, Art Shell. Um, that was a good were, one. I know there were eight or nine of them, <laughs> and a bunch of them were first time head coaches too. And I think the uh, Scott Linehan was one of them in St. Louis. I think the only two that are left 
in their jobs are Peyton, Peyton and, McCarthy. and McCarthy. Yeah. And um, you know, I knew McCarthy because he was here as a quarterbacks coach in 1999 for one year, and I knew that people in the organization thought real highly of him, even though it was that one year that Ray Rhodes was the head coach and the whole staff was was wiped out. But uh, McCarthy was very you know highly thought of then, and he's one of those guys that um, you know. I mean, I'll, I'll start with the premise that all these guys have big egos, and all these guys, you know, you, ha- you almost have to to get to that spot, you know, to be one of these head coaches. But he's um, you know he's not um, he's he's more of a regular guy I guess than than any other of the four head coaches that that I've covered here. He's more approachable. Um, he, he's he's very stiff at the podium when you guys see him in those press conferences. But it's only because I think he's just not that comfortable in that setting. He's much more um, he's just much better, much more personable. You know, in a, in, a, in a one-on-one type setting. And I don't know whether that'll come through this week or not. Um, I'm guessing that it won't, and he'll probably there'll be stories written about him that that he's uptight or that he's stiff. But but I don't think those are necessarily accurate portrayals of him and his personality. All right, it's the Sportscasters here with uh, Rob Domofsky of the Green Bay Post Gazette. Like we said before, you can follow him on Twitter at Rob Domofsky, D E M O V S K Y. One more question for you. This is how we got Damashak out of here, so I'm going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> okay. Who wins? Oof. What's the score and what's the MVP? Who's the MVP? Wow. That's a tough question. Um, if it helps, Damashak went with the uh, reverse jinx and he <laughs> said that uh, Green Bay is um, going to run away with like a 10-point win. I picked the Packers to lose to the Eagles in the first playoff game, okay? So that Oof. means that I didn't even <laughs> think they'd be, be at this point. But then <laughs> – after they beat Philly and after they beat Atlanta, I guess I maybe turned me around a little bit and thought, wow, maybe they can win this thing. Um, I still think, and I, I have to make my pick for the paper, but not till the day of the game, so I've got time. The, the Pittsburgh um, experience, having been there you know, twice, and well, this is their what, third time in the last six years, to me, I, I think that might be a factor in it. But if, if Rodgers can, can stay hot, and they can get some turnovers, I think the Packers have a chance to win. So I guess on the spot here, I'll pick the Packers maybe like 27-24, something like that, and um, I guess I'll go with Rodgers as the MVP. Okay, Rob Domoski, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Have a good time in Dallas, and uh, maybe we'll catch up with you another time. Sounds good, guys. My pleasure. All right, thank you very much. All right, sportscasters, mega, super, ultra, huge Super Bowl edition. We've already had Dave Damashek, and we've already had Rob Domofsky. But our next guest was born in New Jersey, raised in Massachusetts. He attended Brown University, where he received a degree in economics. And after a career in radio, he moved on to write for Lycos, where he wrote the Lycos 50 column. And since 2003, you can find him writing on the website he created, footballoutsiders.com. And as well as ESPN.com, where he shares some articles. A warm sportscaster, welcome to Aaron Schatz. How are you doing, Aaron? Uh, I'm doing fine. The funny thing is, I don't think of myself in any way as being from New Jersey. <laughs> well, I just said you <laughs> were born around there. A lot. I bounced around a lot as a kid. Yeah. Uh, I just said, raised in Massachusetts mostly, right? That's where you feel mostly. like you're from? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm a Patriots fan. When I was younger, I lived in uh, Orange County, California, and I was an L.A. Rams fan. That was when I lived in L.A., 
and when the Rams lived in L.A. <laughs> Sorry, and now neither live there. That's correct. Okay, well, since you're new to our show, why don't you tell us a little bit about Football Outsiders and what you guys do there and all of the unique information that your site provides? Yeah, well, the basic idea behind Football Outsiders is intelligent analysis of football, uh, primarily the NFL, although we've really been working hard over the last couple of years to expand our college football coverage. Now, the heart of what we do and how I got started seven years ago is advanced stats that are based on play-by-play breakdown. So we're not manipulating numbers by, like, adding this number to that number. Uh, What I actually do is break every play down during the season, and then we compare the success on every play uh, that's based on down and distance as well as distance towards a touchdown. We compare that to the NFL average based on situation and then, then adjust it for opponent. So that this actually works in creating stats that effectively think like coaches. They think situationally. They think about how the play you need on third and two is different than the play you need on first and ten if you want to be successful in moving the ball down the field, moving the chains. So that is how things started. Now, we've expanded since then with a lot of other numbers, including a big project uh, where we chart games uh, to create stats that aren't in the standard play-by-play, as well as college stats that are based on play-by-play as well and, and drives. And then a lot of other writing, you know, we've expanded into sort of less numerical. Uh, we have a column this year by a guy who used to play left tackle at Stanford. He writes about offensive line play. We have the humor-slash-play breakdown column walkthrough by Mike Tanier. Uh, we have Doug Farrar doing a scouting column. So it's a mix of a lot of different things, but the basic goal is if you like the chess match of football, not just watching the fat guys run into each other. We want to be your website. Now, I noticed that today you put out an article for the 1992 season. So that's as far back as you go now, right? You're 1992 to present, basically? Right. When I started this, the only data I had was from 2002 and 2003. And now we've actually gone back into the past by literally transcribing old play-by-play from the game books, some of which are written (laughs) or typed on manual typewriters. And then run our numbers. So we now have our numbers run for every season from 1992 through 2010. This is a good time to introduce going back a year because nothing is going on in the first couple days of the second week. Media day with today, so whoop-de-doo. Right, really, it's been a really quiet kind of start to the Super Bowl week. Uh, I think that's because this Super Bowl is all about football. There really aren't a lot of additional stories other than the Roethlisberger past. Uh, you don't have um, Cinderella, you don't have the perfect season on the line, you just have two really good football teams that are very evenly matched, and we're actually, a surprisingly few players are really well known uh, as media personalities. Let's talk a little bit about the quarterbacks. You mentioned Roethlisberger there. My co-host Donnie here is a known Roethlisberger kind of basher. We had, uh, Dave, we had Dave Damashek on earlier, and he was kind of saying he thinks Ben Roethlisberger is a Hall of Famer, almost with or without this victory, definitely with it. Um, where, do you, where do you see your analysis of the players? How do you compare the two quarterbacks? Who does your site give an edge to? You know, what can we expect this week based on what you guys have found at Football well, Outsiders? I'll say, I'll say this first of all. What makes a player a Hall of Famer is different than what makes a player great at his position in the present. Because the fact is the Hall of Fame is about, you know, 
is in, in part about the legend that you build. And if Roethlisberger wins the Super Bowl, that's three rings. That's quite a legend to be built, even if at no time he was the best quarterback in the league. Right. I mean, to give you an example, I believe Adam Vinatieri should go to the Hall of Fame. He was never the best kicker in football, right? but because of the legend of what he did in the postseason. That's different from who's the best player. Overall, I think Rodgers is better. Now, this year, actually, Roethlisberger was slightly better than Rodgers. However, that was in some ways you know, limited sample because he only played 12, 12 games, games as opposed right. to Rodgers playing 14 and a half. And in past years, Rodgers has been a little better. Plus, uh, while we think of Roethlisberger as the guy who runs around and makes plays, for the most part, he runs around and he makes plays behind the line of scrimmage. Rodgers is a very effective scrambler, so he adds a lot of rushing value on top of his passing value. Uh, they're both, you know, really good quarterbacks, and I still think Brady and Manning are in a league of their own because you can trust Brady and Manning to be among the three or four best quarterbacks in the league year after year after year. But Rodgers, Roethlisberger, and Philip Rivers are getting very close to that level. Now, last year we had Breeze and Manning in the Super Bowl, and this year we have Roethlisberger and Rodgers. What do you think is a better just quarterback matchup? Well, um, I think that, that last year's because they were a little more veteran, and so you knew, I mean, you know Manning is one of the five best quarterbacks or six best quarterbacks who's ever played the game. Um, I don't know, but this year... It's really similar because last year you had the two veteran guys, and this year you've got the two younger guys. Right. Um, although, I mean, Rodgers has been a quarterback for less time than Roethlisberger. I don't know if Roethlisberger qualifies as a younger guy anymore. <laughs> right. He's That's in true. his seventh season. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, one big thing you guys do is you put out the Football Outsiders Almanac, and you do that every year in the preseason. Is this a shock to you that the Steelers, based on what you published before the season, and is this a shock to you that the Steelers and the Packers would be the team at the end? No, not at all. Now, I, I should say, don't expect us to be this good every year. <laughs> but we correctly predicted 10 of 12 playoff teams in our book, including wow. both the Steelers and the Packers. Now, a lot of people had the Packers before the season, and that's not a shock to anyone. I am... I was really surprised by how many arguments I had with people before the season about whether Pittsburgh was going to be good. People were so worried about four games that Ben Roethlisberger was going to miss, forgetting that what really drives the Steelers is not Roethlisberger but the defense, and that defense was returning Troy Palomalo and Aaron Smith, who had missed most of the previous year with injuries. Now, of course, Smith's missing the Super Bowl, but you know he was there for, for a large part of the year, and, and that defense improved far past what they had done in 2009, and it was very easy to predict that that was going to happen. So we actually had Pittsburgh projected as the second best team in the AFC, but as a wild card, because we had Baltimore projected as the Number first one, best man. team in the AFC, and it turned out they ended up switched, but uh, with New England ahead of both of them, but as far as that division went, they ended up switched, but they both made the playoffs. Okay, since you were so good and accurate this year, uh, going back to 1992, which is the most unlikely Super Bowl champion to come out, according to your numbers? Oh, there's no question about it. The, the 2007 Giants are the most surprising Super Bowl champion. I mean, that was a team that was basically league average for the season, lucked its way into 10 wins, and also was on a downward momentum going into the playoffs. Now, 
the fact that I say they were the worst Super Bowl champion comes with an asterisk because the Giants played so much better in 2008 than they did in 2007. Normally when a team goes on a little playoff run like that, it doesn't continue into the next year. Right. Like the 2003 Panthers, right? The 2004 Panthers were 7 and 9. The 1981 Raiders were 7 and 9. Uh, the 2002 Patriots missed the playoffs. Uh, the Saints the were Giants missed the playoffs. Continued, the Giants continued that run. Well, the Saints were good all last year. The Giants were a totally different team in the playoffs that year, but they continued that run next year. So in retrospect, they may not be the most surprising team to, make, to win a Super Bowl, or at least to make it to the Super Bowl. The other one that would be very surprising is the Cardinals in 2008, who got killed by 40 points two weeks before the playoffs. Right. <laughs> you know? In the snow in New England, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> in the I'm giving up on this and going out to shovel at halftime game. Right. Where I stopped watching and went out to shovel <laughs> at halftime. <laughs> um, my next question for you is, how big is the Pouncey injury in terms of this game? Uh, if he's in, does that give the Steelers a huge edge? If he's out... Does that give the Packers a huge edge? Numbers-wise, how does that affect the, the game? Well, it's hard to tell because we haven't seen them without him. The fact is that we, the one game we did see them without Pouncey, they played maybe their best offensive line game of the season. So I don't know whether that means we should expect them to play well this week or that you can't possibly expect them to play that well again because Jonathan Scott and Ramon Foster or whatever uh, didn't play that well during the regular season. Uh, ben Muth, the, the guy who used to play left tackle, looked at this game for the Steelers, and he felt their weakest link in the game was Ligurski, the guy who replaced Pouncey, which is surprised because Ligurski played well when he was forced into the lineup earlier in the year. It's not as big as a uh, Palomalo injury. In fact, it's probably not as big as the Palomalo injury that Palomalo had and that he's playing with anyway. Uh, but it is fairly reasonably large because of the fact that, A, B.J. Raji has been playing so well, and, B, Pouncey is the best player on what is the weakest unit on the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, in fact, I would say that while this game is about as, as close to a coin flip as you could get, when people have asked me if I had to pick a team, which one I would pick, I've said the Packers because of the injuries to Pouncey and Daniel Sepulveda. Now... Pouncey's put a 75% chance that he's going to play. He is not, not going that, to play. That's what we've maintained this whole time, too. <laughs> Just clearing that up. Um, yeah, it, your odds report says that the, the Pittsburgh is a 50.6 to win and the Packers are 49.4. Have you ever right, had a Super Bowl Right, although I'll point out close? that's because the playoff odds report is designed to forecast the season all throughout the season. Mm -hmm. It's a very limited projection system that is um, – that's only based on the total rating of each team and doesn't look at matchups or splits. Okay. Well, have you, either way, have you ever had one that close? I mean, that seems very, no. very, very even to me. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, I think we had the Saints at 53% last year. We thought that was super close. Right. Interesting, interesting. So what else do people who don't know about your site, what else should we – I mean, there's so many different articles. and we're, Someone who's new to the site, where should they start? How, how, how could they become Well, more? they should probably start by going to the top menu and clicking on, you know, the About section talks about Football Outsider Basics, right? which is a run-through of the main sort of research discoveries that we've made in doing stat analysis for seven years. We actually also run that same list at the beginning of every book. 
Uh, also, our new stats explain gets to the basic nitty-gritty of how DVOA, which is our main ranking uh, rating, which we use for both teams and individuals, how that works. Um, and then if you like, you know, scouting-type thoughts, I would go to the analysis uh, bar on top and go down the archives and read Cover 3, which is uh, Doug Farrar's column, which has actually been more Cover 2 this year. We're looking at two players per week. Uh, and uh, Word of Muth, which is Ben Muth's offensive line column, where he looked at the Dallas, Washington, Arizona, and eventually Pittsburgh offensive lines on a weekly basis this year. What happened to my Saints this year? <laughs> what happened to my Saints? Saints? Yeah. The Saints played well this year. I don't think you can feel badly at all about how they played. Uh, you, the defense of the year before was very non-sustainable because it was so built on turnovers. Yep. And you have to expect uh, regression towards the mean on that. Now, what's interesting about the Saints is the offense declining a little bit, but I think that's easily blameable on injuries. Injuries, yeah. I mean, what were they down to? Their 900th running back by yeah. the end of the season? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Bush was basically I mean, passing out. is more important than running, but when you're running like Liddell Betts and Julius Jones out there, the other team doesn't even need to worry about the run. Right, right. I, it's so still, it was a combination of regression towards the, the bean and, and injuries. And, uh, I mean, they still had a good season. We thought they we, – we had them close to the playoffs, but we actually projected them – missing the playoffs. That's one of the two playoff teams we missed. Ah. So they actually did bitter, better than we expected this season. So everybody kind of has to find a way to fill the void, right? I mean, this is it. This is the last game of the season. What does Football let's Outsiders hope, do? Let's just hope this void only is, lasts until July. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, very good point. But what does Football Outsiders do to fill the void? You just start working on the book right away, or what do you guys do during, during the offseason? Well, do you do any draft? I or? will... I will take a month or two to work on stat analysis, research, uh, improving our numbers. We'll run articles looking at free agency for each team, what each team needs to look at doing to improve going into 2011. Then we'll do some draft coverage. I know that Doug is going to be looking at uh, scouting for various uh, prospects all for the next couple months in the Cover 3 column. Um, I'll be at the Combine. He'll be at the Combine. Although he does reporting, I mostly just kind of go for the hang. <laughs> uh, then we, we really start working on the book, and uh, we try to keep putting some stuff up through the offseason. In the offseason, we, we probably slow down to maybe three or four articles a week instead of ten. All right. Well, the site is footballoutsiders.com. Uh, the guest is Aaron Schatz. You can find him on Twitter. We talk about the Twitter a lot here. He is F-O underscore A Schatz, but that's with an A. Spelled, uh, right. S-C-H-A-T-Z. Right. And if people go to Football Outsiders, they will actually also on the left-hand side find a whole list of where the various Football Outsiders writers can be found on Twitter. How has Twitter changed Football Outsiders? Well, it's, it's interesting. First of all, it is easy if I find one quick and interesting stat to put it out there without posting, uh, having to put up a whole article. The other is that it allows us to comment on games as they happen. Uh, now, actually, I think that's hurt a little bit, our Monday roundup, where we actually print the emails that the whole writing staff sends to each other on Sunday, because some of those thoughts end up in Twitter instead now. Mm. But it, it gives you an opportunity to, to uh, you know, give little one-off thoughts, or in my case, jokes, especially in blowouts, where I get a little goofy. 
Um, and the other thing that's great about Twitter is following all the reporters from around the league. Right. I mean, when a story breaks, you get 30 tweets in five seconds. And you know <laughs> what's going on at all times. Okay, Aaron, uh, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, FootballOutsiders.com is the site. Aaron Schatz, thank you very much. We'll and, right. uh, yeah, look for the Football Outsiders Almanac. First of all, if you want to buy the older one from 2010, it's discounted for PDF version is only $8. Oh. And look for the new one in, uh, in mid-July for Football Outsiders Almanac 2011. Uh, God and Roger Goodell <laughs> willing. Yeah, well, they, they, they can't. They cannot go on strike. I mean, we're big hockey fans, and we know how bad the lockout hurt hockey, and uh, oh, they, yeah. can't, they can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Aaron. Uh, we'll be right back right. to uh, finish up the show. All right, last segment of the mega, ultra, super, huge Super Bowl edition of the Sportscasters. What a lineup, Donnie, we had. What a lineup. Damashek, Domofsky, Shots. Yeah. Whew. Incredible. All right, one last piece of business. Two last pieces of business. First, I said it in the beginning, but you may have forgot or you didn't have your pen or your pencil ready, so why don't you get it ready and write this down? This is where you can find us in case you're looking and you're not sure. Where we are. First, if you want to email us, if you want to email us maybe about some information about the book club or um, you just want to tell us how great you think the podcast is or whatever, <laughs> you can email us at thesportscasters at gmail.com. Our website where you can download uh, the podcasts and you can read our blogs. I'm going to put a new blog up this week, Donnie. I've been working on it, writing a little bit about the first month of the show and giving our listeners a little behind-the-scenes look at how some of the guests came together. So you can look for that this week. And that's at www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thesportscasters. And you can find us on Twitter, three ways, the show, sports, underscore casters, host Donnie, Garbage Radio Don, and Steve at Diversity23. So three ways to find us on twitter right personal note i mentioned last week i went to see my brother play in the ushl uh play uh, in the line brawl broke out it's one of my three things he got banged up this week hurt his shoulder uh, i know he's pretty down out in waterloo iowa so i just wanted to give a sportscasters get well soon to my bro anth hope that shoulder heals up real quick and you're back out on the ice in no time you know donnie what's that you know what I'm saying? We oh, yeah, get, absolutely. Yeah. He's yeah. got to get back out there. Yeah. No, no help to his team on the sideline. Okay, pick four. Real quick, though. Um, I'm not sure if you mentioned uh, also iTunes. You can. Oh, yeah, we're on the iTunes now. Find us on iTunes. Just search for Sportscasters, uh, two words, and we'll be the top. Actually, you know what's cool? If you type in the word the and you pause, Yeah. then you type in the word, you know, put a space, and you type in the word sports, and you wait a second, and you hit the space again, and you hit the C. And there we are. It. There we the go. Sportscasters. So there's nobody else with the sports and then something C nope. before us. Nope. nope. <laughs> We're moving up. Yep. Okay, pick four. Let's give a little recap. After, Ugh. Ugh. after three weeks, Steve is eight and four. After a strong three and one last week, I had the Detroit Red Wings over the New Jersey Devils. Three one, no problem. I had the Boston Celtics over the 
Portland Trail Blazers, 88-78, no problem. I had the NFC over the AFC, 55-41, no problem. And I just missed on Adrian Peterson being the MVP. He had, a, he had an argument, 80 yards and a touchdown, but they gave it to D'Angelo Hall. Because he, he had a, two TDs, right? He had a pick six and Did he have the fumble, fumble recovery and all this kind of great stuff. So yeah, it was great, great game. Now Don went one and three. Ugh. Yeah, he he did so, win on Michigan over Michigan State, sixty-one fifty-seven. Good job which, there. Which is barely that's like my default bet every week right. <laughs> based on our guest. You lost your bold prediction of the Stahl brothers being on separate teams and I lost one it of them immediately. Rogering, yeah, because they weren't on separate teams. Yeah, what was Lidstrom doing? Yeah, you lost uh, the AFC NFC bet. You took the AFC, they lost. And you also, without knowing the teams, which I thought was gutsy, you picked Team Stahl over Team Lidstrom, but (laughs) that didn't work out. It started good. I think it was 4-0 Team Stahl, but no, it didn't happen. So Even with all... They, in the draft, ended up with every single Carolina player. Yep. Still. Everything you could want. Home ice advantage? Nope. Nope. That's what I get for betting on uh, meaningless games. Okay. The game of the week this week. Hmm. I think it's a Super Bowl, Donnie. Why don't you start us off? What do you think? Oh, man, this is a tough one. I mean, every other year, there are upsets in the Super Bowl, but usually there's a, there seems like there's a right pick and a wrong pick. This, this is a literal coin flip, and I went with the Packers. I just think it's Rodgers' time, and Troy Palomalu can be susceptible to good quarterbacks. Like, he'll cheat a little bit, and then he'll get burned, like, where you won't even see him on the screen until you watch the replay. So if I'm going on anything, I guess it's that and the injuries to the Steelers. And taking the Packers. Unbelievable that a team could put 15 guys on the IR and still find themselves number six seed, go on the road, win the wild card round on the road against a hot Eagles team, then win against the one seed on the road in the Dome against the Falcons, and then win in the cold at Soldier Field against your arch rival. Pretty impressive what the Packers have done. But you know what? The Packers have been really, really good inside this year. And I heard that they're going to, well, I'm sure everyone's heard by now, they're going to shut, shut the, the roof. roof. Yep. So this is going to be an indoor game on a fast track. And the Steelers are not going to have their center. I don't care if he says he's 75% to play or whatever. He's not playing. His ankle's broken. He's not going to be on the game. He's not going to be in the game and... I like the Packers' defensive line to really cause cause Roethlisberger a lot of trouble. I am going to go with the Packers as well. Yeah, that Steelers' offensive line is bad to begin with without injury problems. Okay, Dan, what about your worldwide leader pick? My worldwide leader. This is where I uh, call on the host guests unknowingly to make my picks for me. <laughs> this one, uh, for the great Dave Damashek in his alma mater, Indiana, I'm going to take them 4 p.m. Saturday to win over Iowa at home. Where can we watch that? Do you know? <laughs> yes, sorry. Uh, 4 p.m. over Iowa on ESPN2. ESPN2, perfect. All right, my worldwide leader game is going to be Michigan versus Ohio State, little college hoops, um, Thursday at 7 o'clock on ESPN. I'm going to take the number one team in the country, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Okay, my host choice. This is a hometown pick, but I'm going to take the Sabres, even with their uh, crazy long break and rust that they're going to work through. And they're going to take their five games in hand over Atlanta by the time they play this game. And they're going to celebrate their new ownership announcement with a W over the Pittsburgh Penguins, who will probably still be without Crosby. Gutsy. 
All right, my host choice. I'm a big Oklahoma Sooners fan, and this Saturday, the Bedlam rivalry continues in basketball against Oklahoma State. You can watch it on the Yes Network at 1.30 on Saturday, and I'm going to take Oklahoma State to absolutely crush my beloved Sooners because <laughs> they stink. They are an awful <laughs> basketball team. I think I've had just about enough of Jeff Capel, Oklahoma State, in a romp. Oh. Uh, my bold prediction, the, the number one, defense in the league is playing the number three defense in the league in the Super Bowl. The over-under currently sits at 44, and I'm going to take the over, which is not really bold. I'm going to take the over plus 11. I'm going to say they go 55 or above. 55 or above. I like it. You know, I was looking for a bold prediction, and I looked through all the props. You know the props that they have I did the Super see those, Bowl? Yep. Yeah, I looked through them and looked through them and looked through them, and here's what I like. Here's, what I'm gonna, here's my bold prediction. I'm going to say the first touchdown of the Super Bowl will be scored by John Kuhn, the fullback, fullback for the Packers. That is bold. That's going to be the first touchdown of the Super Bowl. And that's it. That is it. That's everything. It's, it's been a long show. Uh, thanks to Dave Damashek for joining us. Thanks to Rob Domofsky. Absolutely. Thanks to Aaron, Aaron Schatz. Um, I guess all that's left to say, enjoy the Super Bowl and uh, cue the hip.